0: This morning we are going to be in the book of Ezekiel, so why don't you turn there? It's a big book, and there is a lot that is going on. Um, We are not going to be preaching directly on this particular topic today, but it is during today's text, uh, kind of when Ezekiel is writing that text, that the destruction of Jerusalem will actually happen. And so a lot is going on with this particular prophet, and I hope that you have found our uh, our timelines helpful so that we can have a better understanding of what it is that we are about to read and so why don't you turn your attention we're on one screen this morning again next week we should have two but we're on one this morning so uh, why don't we watch the screen and, uh, and get a sense of where we are in Israel's history
1: a few weeks ago we saw how the kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria in 722 B.C. According to the prophets, this destruction was no random event. It was God's judgment on the nation for her sin and rebellion. With her sister to the north as an example, one would think that Judah would choose to remain faithful to Yahweh. But aside from a few small windows of repentance, she continued to abandon her covenant with him. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah warned of the coming wrath and pleaded with the people to repent, but they refused. Then in 597 BC, the Babylonian Empire conquered Judah's capital, Jerusalem. Judah's king, along with many of its inhabitants, were taken to Babylon as captives. About five years later, God called one of those captives, a man named Ezekiel, to prophesy to the exiles in Babylon. He would live out his entire prophetic career there, calling the people to holiness. And declaring that Yahweh was sovereign over their present punishment and their future restoration. Like many prophets before him, Ezekiel did not pull punches when listing the sins of God's people. He sometimes used graphic imagery in describing their wickedness, and he was not afraid to point the finger at those he held responsible, including the political and religious leaders of his day.
0: Uh, yeah, that's an understatement. There are a few chapters in the book of Ezekiel that I, uh, to be honest, have never preached from. I have never heard them preached on, ever. Uh, I would turn five to seven shades of red if I were to read them and try to exegete them, to, uh, to explain them to you. Uh, there is a lot of very uh, rough parts of this book because it exists in a very rough part of Israel's history. And so what a, a privilege and an opportunity it is for us to sit here this morning and to learn from those who've struggled in the past and have experienced God's pain and, uh, or the pain of, of, of God judging them and the hardships that come. And it's just good to, to just stop and to reflect on the fact that you and I sit kind of disconnected in an audience thousands of years later to learn from someone else's mistakes, from someone else's history. And so today when we're in Ezekiel chapter 33 and 34, I I hope that you, um, as you're listening, even though there might be uh, different ways in which you can look at this particular text, what I love is that every single one of us has to wrestle with the teaching from today's text as both a sheep and at some level a shepherd or a future shepherd. In Ezekiel chapters 33 and 34, the prophet Ezekiel, on behalf of God, speaks to his people near the end, right near the very, very end of their time under God's covenant protection. And they are about to experience God's covenantal judgment for their faithlessness for them being unfaithful. And we've dealt with that with a number of different kings and prophets, the, the warnings that exist and the, the warnings that come and the rebellion that exists. And so when we look at texts like this, we say, wow, God must be angry a lot. A lot of people read the Old Testament, that's their response. God must be angry a lot. And one of the things, I, I don't feel like God ever needs me to come along and to... Um, to defend him. Oh yeah, you want to fight God? Well, you have to fight me first. That's not really not the role of a, of a preacher, even the role of a prophet. The role of a, of a preacher or the role of a prophet is just to make sure that you're clear, that you're in a, in a good mind, that you're aware of who God actually is. It's that clarity. It's that, it's that purpose. It's not standing up for him. It's just speaking the truth about him and then letting him be true. To what he has said and what he has said through his prophets. And so one of the things that we're going to be dealing with, and as we walk, kind of walking through Israel's history, remember Ezekiel, now with 10,000 other Israelites, have been pulled from their homeland and are now living in exile in Babylon. So it's not easy for them. It's not not one of those things where it's like, oh, easy for you to say, Ezekiel. No, you can never say easy for you to say, Ezekiel. It is hard on Ezekiel and for many others. But God still says, my people need to hear the truth. So often when we look at Those critical moments where where judgment comes or difficulty comes, all we can think about is the after effect. All we can think about is the, the time of recuperating from that very, very difficult time. And we fail to recognize that by looking at the scriptures, by looking at God's word, what you and I have the privilege of doing is we can actually stand and we can look at what led to this. Ezekiel is speaking at one of those moments where he wants the people of God to know, how did we get here? How did 10,000 of us get removed from the land that God promised our forefather Abraham? And why do we all have a new address? I have to answer that question. How does God feel about us? Is this the end of it? Is God's judgment that has now come upon us? Is that like its final word? Sometimes judgment and pain can just feel like God's final word to you. And that's when we need a prophet. We need a, a revelation from God that can... Help us understand where we came from and, and therefore how we got here, and then and, and how do we move forward? And so the prophet speaks to us, Ezekiel does. In chapters 33 and 34, the two chapters that we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at um, three specific things. First of all, we're going to be looking at from the perspective of the sheep, okay? This is kind of an analogy that has been used quite a bit for, for, for the people of God. We're sheep. Now, I'm a city kid. Anybody else kind of grew up in the city, did not know? Okay, so city kid, have no idea. I don't, I don't get like farm-type imagery. I don't get animal-type imagery, okay? I didn't even have a lot of pets as a kid growing up. And so I don't get a lot of those things. And so when I think of sheep, I think, well, you know, cute, okay? Sheep, you know, fluffy, Sheep, you know, Precious Moments Chapel in Carthage, Missouri. I've, I've, I've not been to a sheep farm, but I've been to Precious Moments. Is it like that? Like, that's kind of how I think. And I, I met a shepherd one time. Very seldom do you ever get to say that sentence. I met a shepherd one time, and the shepherd told me sheep are two things. Number one, he called them dumb, just not very bright like they, they do. They kind of follow, and they kind of walk around, but they wander off. It's just they're not very bright. The second thing he says is they smell, like really bad smell. And so I thought that was interesting because I kept thinking, wow, like I'm a sheep. (laughs) That's not bad, actually. I do smell and I do tend to wander off. I too tend to get distracted. But we're dealing with not just any kind of sheep, but we're dealing with sheep at at a very critical moment in Israel's history where sheep are being slaughtered. And when that happens, you you just got to admit, it's got to be difficult to try to understand why is this happening to us? Where is this coming from? And there can be some real wrong ideas about God that are birthed out of uh, of adversity and judgment and difficulty. And so I, I want us to hear this text that comes at a Difficult time in Israel's history where judgment is coming down. Samaria fell, as you saw in the, in the video, in 722 to the Assyrians. Babylon is about to destroy. It happens in a series of, of successive judgments. And so Jerusalem is already in the process of being destroyed. Temple is about to go down. It actually gets destroyed in 586. So Ezekiel will never actually see his land, his homeland again. He's going, being taken out into exile. He's going to die over there. What is God's attitude towards us? And here's a very interesting verse. I I don't know if this is one of those you really need to memorize. I got a lot of those today, but not this one. But this is one to underline because this this really confronts a big misunderstanding about who God is. God is judging us, therefore he must be angry and he must not love us. Obviously, you don't have kids. It's very easy to be angry (laughs) and to, to, to discipline out of love. And so God says, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, to clear up any confusion, any misunderstanding about why judgment comes and and what is at the root of this. Is it just that God is mad at us today and that's not what the Bible offers? The Bible actually says, God says, are you ready for this? As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. I remember when, uh, when they announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed and the celebrating that, had, that happened. Maybe you did. I remember actually being glad. I remember kind of thinking about it. Yeah, justice. And, and, and early on, actually, I thought of this text. I thought of this text when it came to his life. More, more recently, I mean, last terroristic, but Hugh Hefner died. As you, as you probably know, uh, we, we don't really lift him up as one of the patron saints of the church, right? <laughs> Hugh Hefner died. What, what's God's attitude towards that? Finally! Ha, ha, ha I brought Hugh Hefner down. How many of you wondered why Hugh Hefner lived so long? Anybody else? I did. Why is God allowing this man who exploits everybody to live such a long and lucrative, uh, from a worldly perspective, a very blessed life, right? Money and power and fame and women and popularity, all that stuff, right? Why does God allow that? Okay, now that Hugh Hefner's dead, I bet you God's happy. I don't think you know who God is. God does not delight. He finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And, and, but notice how it continues. It's not like, and he really doesn't care about anybody. It's not, it's not a disconnectedness from his creation. I would actually argue it's, it's, a, it's a deeper uh, connection to it that causes him to love Osama bin Laden, or I mean, the, the worst, or, or the silliest, or the most broken. He loves them each Intimately. Made them, died for them. I find no death in the wicked, or pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way. That's the wicked way. And live. To turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Can you hear that kind of that question? He's asking them, like, do you know why this judgment is coming? Do you know why these natural consequences are, are now finally upon you? Why will you die, O oh Israel? You think that somehow I'm disconnected or that I'm angry for no reason? Sheep can be like that. I, I've had a lot of people spend a lot of time in my life warning me about things. My dad, son, you really need to study hard and you need to learn to work hard and you need to Okay, whatever, Dad. Can you move? Because Bugs Bunny's on. See what you miss? Son, you you need to recognize how important it is. You need to choose your friends wisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. But these guys are fun. (laughs) I don't know about wise, but man, are they fun. Now, son, you do need to remember that... um, that if you, if you begin to spend too much now, it'll come back around and you're going to not be in a didn't listen. Didn't listen. I think the only thing I did really well was marry. Married well. So I'm very careful who you marry. My dad used to always tell me, don't marry a jealous woman. He had all these little things, right? And I didn't. I was grateful for that. Make sure, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life with this young woman. And I just remember thinking, cool. I'm I really like her. (laughs) This sounds great. I'll be honest though, um, as a sheep, I had no idea how long, almost 30 years have been. That's been a long time. Longer on Andrea than on me, but it's been a long time. Like you spend a long time actually looking back at decisions that you've made and wishing you had done them a little bit different. And I think when that happens, we we begin to kind of reinvent what really happened back there. That's why it is so easy for us to come up with excuses as to why we made the poor choices. I just didn't know. I didn't think it'd be this bad. Or I had a woman say to me one time, is God going to hold me responsible for a commitment I made 15 years ago? Uh, Yes. It's called marriage. Sheep can be like this. We, we, We can even accuse God of not getting it. I hear a lot of people talk about how they're angry with God and how God doesn't get it. And, and, and you know, I, 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 if I understand kind of where they're coming from, because life is hard. But the book of Ezekiel actually comes to us. As we're, we're still in 33. Look at verse 17 through 20. This is what the people say. People are kind of looking around. Again, people love formulas. If I do good, then I deserve good. If I do bad, I deserve bad. So can I just try to live my life the best that I can and call it good? I mean, isn't that just enough for the creator of the universe? By the way, the biblical answer is no. I don't know if that's fair, though. And when I say fair, or when you say fair, or when your friend says fair, you know that means according to them, in their whopping 15 years of experience as 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 a human being, or 35, or 55, or I don't care if you're 88, when you say fair, according to me, in my brilliance. This is, what, this is what sheep say. Again, rebellious, smelly sheep. They say this. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, verse 17, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he will die for it, God says. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live by this. Like that's God's way. Isn't that not amazing? It's not a tallying of how things are going. It's just I've, I've, I've been faithful, honey, for almost 27 years. I deserve three years of crazy. I've been hard working now for 12 straight years. I deserve two to three years off. God says no. Like this is the way of righteousness, because this is my way. When you're righteous and you turn from it and you do injustice, you'll be punished. The more amazing part is the second half. When you live wickedly and you turn from your wickedness, because God's heart is so wanting us to return to Him that He receives us. And, and notice in verse twenty. And yet each of you say, "The way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel." Know this, I will judge everyone by what they do. Now, now by the way, that's not a, you know, I I know it's in the Old Testament. You go, that's how God used to judge people. No, but God doesn't change. This is a consistency within how God acts. There's always rooms for mercy in this. I mean, to be wicked and to turn from my way and appeal to God is not a, God, and I promise to make up for those 20 bad things. I promise to do 21 good ones tomorrow. That's not what he's describing. God just judges those who in their wickedness, stay in their wickedness, stay in rebellion, stay stubborn, stay hurtful, stay mad, stay angry, stay bitter. God gives them their final consequence for that life. And even though you've done so well for so long, should you turn from the goodness that you've experienced in God and you are done? And you want nothing to do with, the Bible teaches, then God says, Jesus says, and those who deny me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. New and Old Testament. It's still amazing to me that God looks at the wicked and he doesn't want them to die. He wants them to turn. God looks at you. Forget Osama and I, I don't know those guys. God looks at you and says, what I long for you is to turn, turn, turn away from your wicked ways and find life. This is the heart of who God is. In verses 31 through 33, this points to just this, I, I thought this verse was so fascinating because Jesus uses a similar verse to describe his people. So as you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, oh, and things are as bad now as they've ever been or worse now than they've ever been. I have no idea. I've only lived 49 years of my life. Everything else about history, I have to read books. And sometimes I read in the past and it looks good and other times it looks just terrible. I have no idea. But boy, we sure do act the same. And so I, I, want, I want you to hear this. And one of the reasons why I thought these verses just jumped out in my study um, was that these verses really point, like, to, maybe to you today. Like, I don't want you to just hear this and then prepare and to come eat and drink um, this memorial to Jesus Christ And fail to recognize what you're eating and drinking. Fail to recognize the consequences of hearing, not what Jim Johnson says, but profound eternal truth. And then stay disconnected from that eternal truth. So here's what the sheep of Israel did. They would have both false prophets and real prophets speak to them. And by the way, they kind of liked it. Hey, are you a believer? Well, I go to church. No, but are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you wake up in the morning and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to, well, no, no, no. But I go to church. And actually, I kind of like the speaker. He's kind of a fun guy. He teaches me some helpful tips, showed me how to get my finances in order and be kinder to my wife. He's a great guy. My wife likes church. I just kind of go along with her. This is what Ezekiel says about sheep. They come to you as people come. This is how sheep come. They sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. With lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. Selfish, right? I'm here to hear what I want to hear. I'm here to get what I want to get. I'm still here on my terms. I don't know if I'll go gather or grow, but Jim, if I'll fit it into my schedule, maybe. But you do know that that go gather and grow will benefit me. You do know that, right? That's the one thing I know about people. It's the one thing I know about me is that I will do things that will benefit me. I will listen to things and respond to things if they benefit me. And Jesus says, that's what people are like. Or God says, that's what people are like. Well, Jesus too, but Jesus hasn't really come yet. A lot of other stories. So look at verse 32. And behold... You are to them, the prophet Ezekiel, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and play well on an instrument for they hear what you say, but they're not gonna do it. And when I read that, I just thought, wow, like that's been me. It's been me to listen to a great sermon and then not really have any desire or implication on my own life where I need to change. I, I can hear some great words of wisdom. It doesn't have to be in a sermon. I can, I can read God's word, and like the book of James says, I read it, and then I, I walk away like a man who looks in the mirror, and then as soon as he turns away, he can't even remember what he looks like. I mean, here's one of the questions that I want to ask. Like, have you been coming to church for a while? Many of you would say yes. Like, are you more like Jesus and and your love for him and your commitment for him, is it like showing up in your life as a natural response to a life that is devoted and dedicated to him? Or are you like someone that just loves to come and hear great songs, but in the end, like, none of this is good. Nothing's gonna change. As I get older, I'm more committed to having tough conversations, and so now... I'm, I'm more ready than ever in my life. I've never been one to kind of avoid controversy or, or confrontation when necessary, but I, I feel like a greater need, something about time on the other side of my, uh, on the other side of today in my own life that makes me get more excited about this. And I now love asking people the, the serious question, so are you a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ? This, this should play out in your every day. And if the answer is no, then I love you and I want you to know about Jesus. If the answer is yes, then I want to talk about that. But these things have implications. We're we're not just fans. Dance for me. Sing for me. No, we're participants in God's great plan. Well, that's what sheep are like. And I just feel the way I've been a bad sheep, I've, I've been a rebellious sheep, I've been a stubborn sheep, I've been hard to lead sometimes in my life. I need to go home and call my mom and dad and apologize. Uh, I need to say, I need to really apologize to like my fifth grade teacher for being a terrible sheep. Um, I was not good to my 11th grade social studies teacher. I need to call Mrs. Selby and apologize to her. You know, a couple of bosses I had, I could have been, because I knew a lot, you know, and so I thought I knew more than them. You ever been that guy at work? Well, I don't know if it's going to get better because Ezekiel doesn't just talk about sheep. He also talks about shepherds. And God places, I want you to know this, like God places over nations, kings, in our day, presidents. And he says, now, Mr. President, I've I've put you here to govern the people. Paul says this. It's not just an Old Testament idea. Paul says this. It's Caesar's. And, and then God says, and, and by the way, you better be careful because I have put you, given you this incredible responsibility and it's so easy for us to have opinions about presidents because none of us will ever be one. God appears in how he orders things to make CEOs of companies, to lead that company so, so that others would benefit and so that society would benefit. God God appoints at some level, I don't know exactly how it works, but leaders over these institutions that they might work for their betterment. But very few of us will ever be a CEO, maybe a few more than president. And then God puts in some places like coaches over teams. Now if anybody's got a thankless job, it's usually called a coach, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Anybody watched football yesterday and had an opinion? I had lots of opinions on my team. Lots of opinions, because I know more than them, because I've never played football, so I obviously know more. And I'm sitting here from the comfort of my living room. That was the dumbest play. Why would you put the running back up the middle where everybody could tackle him? You put him in the places where nobody else is so he can run for the touchdown, idiots, right? Thankless. And, and, and God, in some way, in big, I believe this, like, puts them in this place for the benefit of everybody. God puts parents over families. God's put husbands and wives side by side. He says, I want you to care for these people. And, and, and strangely enough, those same people that are selfish, I'm here for myself, when they become presidents, they're still there for themselves. When, when they become CEOs, they can really be tempted to be there for themselves. When they become coaches, they're there for themselves. Like when they're married, they're there for themselves. When they have children. So why do you and Andrea have children? Because we were looking for a new experience. Andrea just really loves kids. She thinks they're cute. And, uh, and you know, I just, I need somebody to play baseball with. And so I got, we had kids. Oh yeah, that's very honorable. Think about it. So why'd you have kids? Because I wanted them. <laughs> kind of like My car. I'm not saying they're not, they're not worth, they're worth much more. I get that, but they're here, right? To kind of serve me? To kind of make me feel better about me? To kind of satisfy my need like everything else? Do you see the brokenness that exists? So it's easy for us to rip on these kings and just say, yeah, they're terrible leaders. Like it's so easy for you to tweet about how bad our leadership is doing, even though the Bible says to pray. You know how to critique it. You know how to critique all the way. You know how to complain all the way. Even the Bible says that our first response, and I'm not saying buy everything they sell, but our first response should be one of prayer, one of recognition of the weight of responsibility. And then trust God to work it out. Because it's very, very interesting that we have in, in, in Ezekiel 34, as we move to that next chapter, what we actually see with these shepherds is, like, God is not pleased with them. God doesn't say to shepherds, well, I know you had it hard, and I know that nobody else really liked your offensive call playing, so I'm just going to give you a pass. Like, I know you, it was hard to be the king of that nation because there were a lot of messed up people and the times were difficult. I'm just going to give you a pass. Like I know there was like religious confusion in that day. So high school students, God's just gonna give you a pass because there's all these different views out there. So God will give you a pass. God will give your teachers a pass. No, here is what God says. Look at verse two of, of chapter 34. Thus says the Lord God. Now look at how this happens. Thus says the Lord God. As you probably know, unless you're new here, I love to teach this so that when you're reading the Bible, you can see it. Lord is not, this is not a mistake, Lord is not in capitals, but God is. That's different than we usually see it, right? When we usually see Lord all in capitals, it's the specific name of God, it's what? Yahweh, that's Yahweh God, okay? God is the word El. So Lord all in caps is Yahweh, but when you see Lord spelled like that and then God spelled like that, it's a special combination of two Hebrew words and it is um, Yahweh Elohim or Elohim Yahweh. It's when they take the word for God in its superlative, in its strongest, greatest scent, Elohim, and it puts it beside his covenantal name, Yahweh. When you see it spelt like this, it's Elohim Yahweh, or Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, Yahweh, God, kind of stressing um, some profound strength and covenantal love and covenantal judgment, covenantal faithfulness. Thus says Elohim Yahweh, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. The judgment is coming. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Answer, yes, but you don't. You feed yourselves. Look at verse three, it continues on. And and listen to this accusation. And I'm just telling you, I really pray for the rest of our time this morning that you're a sheep who's a shepherd or a shepherd who's a sheep. And that you feel the weight (laughs) of those who have been put in leadership over you or the leadership that you have or the leadership that you will have? Here is Yahweh's judgment against the shepherds, against the kings, against the priests, against the false prophets of Israel. You eat the fat. You close yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you've not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you rule over them. Because why? You're the boss. can't wait to be the boss so that I can tell everybody else what to do, so that I can experience all the joys of making all the money and everybody else can work for me. That's the joy of being the boss. And God says, that's actually not why you're the boss. That's not why you're the parent. That's not why you're the leader. That's not why you own that business. That's not why you lead that church. That's not why you're in that ministry. That's not why you're teaching in the children's hallway. So they were scattered, he says in verse 5, because there was no shepherd. And they, the sheep, became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. And so God's judgment comes against the shepherds. That's one of the reasons why I believe it's good to pray for them. Trust God with this biblical idea. Trust God with judgment. We pray. We pray. And and by the way, it's another sermon, but at times we pray for, for God's judgment to come. But his, not mine. He is just. He is the one that can only do this perfectly. And so God then speaks a word against the shepherds in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Elohim Yahweh, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will put a stop of their feeding the sheep. No longer will the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. I love the fact that God in that moment isn't just, remember, he does takes no death, or no joy, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And here is God saying, and I'm going to judge the sheep and the shepherds I'm going to hold the shepherds more strictly to a stricter... Ex- or a stric- a stricter ex- um, hold on a second. Let me think. A stricter expectation of what God desires and wants for them. That's sobering. And God continues on knowing that it's all messed up, that I care about this and I'm going to do something about it. See, in the midst of judgment, okay, fine, God, I, I get why all of this has happened. It's a shepherd's fault. It's the sheep's fault. I get all of that. But how do we get out of this? I, I didn't know this particular lady very well, um, but I knew of her circumstances and her family. And she died of an overdose years ago. And I had the opportunity to sit down with her children, and uh, it was in a very di- obviously a difficult time, and, and I knew there was a lot of trouble in, in, that, in that home for, for as long as they had been around. And, but it's a funeral, right? I mean, we're going to try to do our best to put our best face on, to put our best dress on, to put our best foot forward kind of a scenario. And so I just asked, I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to speak honestly and truthfully about the circumstances that kind of led us here. Um, but it's kind of good to go back and to maybe think of, uh, I don't know, maybe there was a time before all of the recent difficulties that you guys have been going through, maybe a time that we can reflect back on. And can you think of anything like, you know, kind of early on in those years that we can just, you know, be able to say, wow, and, but these things were good, anything at all. And I've never had this happen to you before, but the children looked at me and said, both of them, we cannot think of anything good our mother ever did for us. Not a thing. I gotta preach on Tuesday about this. How do I, what, what do I do? When they're saying, we have nothing, like I can't I can't give you, I can't. if I stand up and say she was a great mom, they'll walk out. If I just sit there and describe all the bad that she did, what do you do? Prayed and prayed and prayed, kind of scared. Finally, I remembered a story in the Bible about a dad that had a son, two sons, but one son, pretty messed up kid, rebelled against his dad, ran away against his dad, and I thought, I'll, I'll just tell that story. But the problem is, is that in that story, in Luke 15, he wakes up and comes home. And so I knew that what I would have to do is I would tell the story of a prodigal that left and a, and a, and a dad, a father, a God, who loved and cared and loved and cared and loved and cared for this daughter that made poor choice after poor choice, but God loved and cared for her and then, I don't know exactly what it was, but kind of my final words and my message were, some prodigals don't ever go home. And they said, thank you. But I said, but, but even though mom never goes home, and the prodigal never comes home, God is always good. And not in a generic sense, in a very real sense. Like maybe someone out there right now, some of you are either feeling the weight of, of, of growing up in a terribly dysfunctional home, Can I tell you, there is a God who loves you and cares for you. There is a brokenness that cannot be fixed by you or I. There is a brokenness that exists in this world that cannot be fixed by you or I. And so what what I I want to close with is I, I want to read to you kind of over, back and forth. The words of God speaking from Ezekiel and the life of Jesus. You'll be able to tell by the screen how they fit together. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep, because the shepherds are so bad, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all of the places where they have been scattered on the days of cloud and thick darkness. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Yahweh God, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And when Jesus is asked about why he would go to a tax collector's house, Jesus says, for I have come to seek and to save the lost. Words of Elohim Yahweh, I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their God. And my servant, David, shall be prince among them. I am Yahweh. I have spoken. Truly, truly, I say to you, words of Christ, I am the door to the sheep. Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and my sheep they hear my voice and i know them and they follow me do you see the answer the answer is jesus it's not about just trying to get anybody off the hook the truth is we are all messed up sheep and shepherds aren't we But is it not good to know that God steps in at moments like that and says, and I will rescue them and I will love them and I will care for them. I will bind them. I will strengthen them. I will judge them. Don't need you to judge them. I will judge them. And some of you right now are just so wanting that kind of leadership in your home, in your marriage, in your life, in your country, at work. And I'm not even asking you to not want that. I'm saying don't miss out on the one good shepherd in the meantime. Trust Jesus where other aspects of your life are broken. Let him heal you. Let him strengthen you. Allow him to feed you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can come around these um, emblems, the, the bread and the juice, I just I thank you for your love and devotion and dedication to us, to your plan and purpose, which is greater than we know. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray, amen. And so what we're going to be doing for the next few moments as we close out our time is we are going to be gathering around the table We're going to have an opportunity to sit here, uh, to, to be able to eat and to drink, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was actually spilled out for us, so that you and I can find healing and strength and courage. So when the time is right for you and for those that are with you to come forward, then you can come up. There are also our baskets around uh, on the back and up front for our, uh, our opportunity to give our offering. Our tithes will be collected later, but our offering to the Help Build Hope project that we did, I think it's good to remember what Christ has done for us as we also give back to him with great joy. Um, but as you sing and as you worship, just remember, greater than your stubbornness and greater than your failure. Greater than the brokenness or even the
1: need in your life is Jesus Christ our Lord.